Just a heads up that in this podcast, you'll hear young people talking about what it was like for them when their mental health wasn't at its best. If you or someone you know needs support, visit headspace.org.au where there are heaps of different ways to connect to someone who can listen, answer your questions and help. Plus, there's a big list of other services you could try like Lifeline or Kids Helpline in our show notes. It's like um, being worried about everything but not caring all at the same time. So like you know that there's so many things that need to get done and you're so stressed about it but you also just don't care enough to want to do it. So it's like having all of these emotions that are sitting in your head, all these situations that you should be dealing with but you just don't want to deal with. So it's like kind of like when you don't do washing for a week and you just see it all piling up near the washing machine and you're like, I know I'm going to need some of this stuff tomorrow, but I'm not going to wash it anyway. Wow, what an explanation. Have you had one of these piles building up in your head that feels impossible to get done? Or maybe you're trying to help someone else with their washing but is sort of stumbling as you try. Or maybe you find it really hard to understand why people don't just do the bloody washing. Okay, this is not a podcast about washing piles. It's about mental health and the many different ways it can impact the lives of young people. Hi, my name is Penny Terry and you're listening to Get Psyched, a podcast from Headspace Launceston where you get to hear the real stuff and the feel stuff from young people about what it's like when your mental health is not at its best. And we whack that next to the deal stuff from Headspace clinicians who help us understand how our minds work and how we can work together to do the dealing. The fancy word for that is psychoeducation, which is why the podcast is called Get Psyched. Clever. Yeah, I know. This episode is about having a busy mind. Have you ever described someone or yourself as an overthinker, a worrier, a stress head, someone who goes down the rabbit hole? We've got lots of words for it that may or may not be helpful. Let's get some words about it. Let's get back to Liz, who we met at the start of the episode talking about her washing pile generally as it gets towards eye level like as it comes up further and further you can definitely start to see it um to start with I think you know you can kind of keep a lid on it kind of keep it to yourself but once it starts to overflow out of the basket like that's it so you know like when you start to get really tired you get really short with people um you know when you start having to pick and choose what you can and can't do um yeah what would help I mean could other people help you do the washing to keep the metaphor going (laughs) Um, I think definitely like just being able to um, like ask for help, you know, get people to help you prioritise, getting someone else's opinion on what you need to do. Like I've definitely had experiences where it's so much easier to give somebody else advice than it is to give yourself advice. Um, So just being able to like use that for yourself and say, right, what would I do if, you know, one of my friends was in this situation so that you can look at it from a different perspective? 
So, what's being busy in your mind as you listen to Liz? It's like something clicks when we hear other people explain their own stuff. I'm sure we've all tried to understand what it's like for other people. And when I talked to Shana, I wondered if I'd been trying to understand the wrong thing. I don't really know how to explain it. It's kind of like a real going through your mind. It's of different scenarios that may happen. And for me, I often just worried, especially at night time, of what would happen the next day. Like I'll make up in my head like different situations and things that may come of that day. And, and a lot of it was negative. Have you had people say things that shows you that they just don't get it? There have been some times where some people have like made assumptions about what it's like and they talk to you and tell you it's like, oh, it's like this or it's like this and it's like it's different for everyone. Like it may be like that for them or something but it's completely different for me and it didn't make me really frustrated per se but rather kind of just not upset that they didn't understand but they wasn't really wanting to understand. I mean, that's a big distinction there. I mean, how do you explain that? How did you work out when people did want to understand? What was the difference? I guess it's not just asking about, like, anxiety and stuff. It's more, like, asking if you're okay or it's not really, for me, about, like, them understanding anxiety. I don't really want them to understand anxiety or go through any of that. So I'm just happy that they understand that I'm going through that and, you know that they are okay with doing things around that. There's something about that line that I hope will stick with me, that Shana doesn't need people to understand her anxiety. She needs people to be okay with her anxiety and okay to work with it. And as Shana said, as Liz said, and Luke is about to say, It's going to be different for everyone. For Luke, he spent a lot of time by himself in his room with his busy mind. I guess it's like a hard thing to explain. You just, different people think different things, definitely. Um, But yeah, for me, I I just felt like it was a hundred different things racing around in your head, made me just have no energy, couldn't be bothered just doing anything Um, and at that time I was staying inside locking myself away so it was normal for me at that point so yeah. Were they big things big issues or could they sometimes be little issues too I mean what's a big or a little issue but you know what I mean? Yeah um, it could be big or small Uh, main issues is am I going to be stuck like this forever am I ever going to be happy am I ever going to have a future Um, those were the main things for me Um, because I was, yeah, I was just feeling shit every day. So I was kind of used to thinking these things and not doing anything about it made it even worse Um, because you're just so kept to yourself and your mind races like 100 miles an hour and you're just thinking all negative, 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 negative and it's, it's nothing positive comes out of it. Like looking back on it, like I'm kind of proud of, where I've come and the changes that I've actually made and 
that definitely helps. Do you have any particular things that fit into the self-care mode for you? Um, definitely not locking myself in my room. I feel like that was the – that's definitely not um, – yeah, I, I spend as much time out of my room now as possible. Um, I'm hardly ever home. I'm just, yeah, out trying new things. I mean, I'm at the point in life where if someone says, do you want to do this, I just say, yeah, if, if it's – something that might not interest me, I'll, I'll still give it a go. Yeah, I didn't enjoy it. I don't have to do it again. Or what happens if I enjoyed it? I actually want to see what happens here. Now, just hold that thought because we are going to hear more from Luke and how he made those changes in upcoming episodes. We're going to hear more from all these young people about their lives and the changes they have and we can make when it comes to supporting our mental health. And another experience to add to that list is from Ella. Even before I started going, I suppose, downhill, as you'd say, having more issues, more problems, I'd always been somebody who was had a fairly busy mind. I very rarely in, am I mentally in the same place and time as I am physically. I'm very regularly future, past, completely different building. It's like you're stretched in all of these different places and you've got all these thoughts running around and they're like, oh, pick me, pick me. I've got a lot of potential. And you can almost feel like it's just almost a physical weight like in your head, like carrying you down. And it is incredibly exhausting. And it's really, really, really hard to explain it to someone who's, they really don't get it and they can't go and find something remotely similar that has happened to them and go oh well it won't be the same as this but it'll be maybe it'll be similar like you're trying to explain it's really busy and it's heavy and it hurts and you makes you tired and you can't and they're like but surely you just can't no I just said I cannot you've just given one example there but what are some other things that people say to you when they they just don't get it a lot of, oh, well, you're you're feeling bad. What made you feel bad? It's like, oh, gee, I don't know. Or um, there'll be people who persist saying, what is, the, what is the thing that makes you anxious? And I'll be there. It's not one thing. It's the little monster in my head has these great big claws and it'll attach itself to anything it thinks might be a weak point. It's going to cling on to that and drag it down and bring it to the forefront of your mind and not let it go for as long as it possibly can. Now, I reckon most of us have done something like that, expecting that it might just be one thing, and if we can just solve that problem, then that mind will be free. It's what we want to do. And guess what? Solving problems is what our brains are programmed to do. Enter psychoeducation. That's one of the things that I learned from mental health clinician Caroline Thane when I asked her, what's going on with our busy minds? If we're struggling with something that we can't necessarily solve, often what our brains do is it will go round and round and round. <laughs> a bit like going round and round a roundabout. I don't know which exit to take, so I'm just going to keep going round and round and round. Um, so unfortunately, it's kind of one of the side effects of our brain liking to solve problems. The other thing our brain tends to do is it likes to go back 
to the past and perhaps go over old things that have happened or it flits into the future and then sort of worries about things that haven't happened yet. And that's because when we're in the present, there's less problem solving our mind needs to do Um, and just watching and observing is a harder thing for our mind to do Um, and that's why we talk as clinicians about um, training our mind to be more in the present because it can be more helpful for our mental health. So if I'm thinking about that and I'm still going round and round and round, why, why is it me that has this busy mind and why aren't other people feeling like this? I think a lot of us actually have a really busy, busy mind Um, and I think we cope with it. We have different ways of coping with that and I think as well some of us have more tools in our toolbox to cope when our minds tend to go round and round and round or ruminate um, and others perhaps need a little bit more help. And I think, gosh, we're all so different Um, and sometimes our brains are wired in certain ways which might mean that we're more likely to focus and worry on things than others and unfortunately we also do this other thing is we compare ourselves all the time don't we with other people and so we can even get caught in the worry about our worry Uh, so why why am I worrying all the time and they're not worrying Um, so yeah it's kind of a bit fraught. So many of us will have heard that phrase, oh, they're an overthinker. And I'd imagine for people who have young people in their life who might be doing some of this rumination, you know, they're on the roundabout, Mm. there could be people going, oh, they just overthink everything. Um, Is that a useful phrase? Um, No, because it's really dismissive and it feels judgy, doesn't it? Mm. One thing I tell young people who come in and see me who might have that tendency to, um, I guess, go round and round in their mind or or overthink or ruminate, whatever you want to call it, is I often say to them, your mind is amazing because it's able to think on all these different layers. So all of a sudden it gives them some self-compassion for their worrying or um, overthinking mind. So if there are people who might notice that someone in their life does tend to want to go down that rabbit hole, to use the words we're not meant to, how do we talk to them about it? How do we help? Don't try and problem solve too quickly. So I think first of all, just validating the stress of whatever that person's going through. So saying, oh gosh, that sounds really, really tricky. So you're just, there's some, there's so much comfort, I think, in just feeling heard by somebody, having permission to feel worried. I think is actually really comforting. And and the side effect of that can actually sometimes be that your worry can reduce a little. Um, and then help them sift through all those things if, if you feel like that's your role and your place too. Um, I guess that depends on your relationship with that person. What are some signs that this rumination is being unhelpful and getting in the way of our day-to-day lives and it's not that normal amount of worry? Well, I think you just hit it on the head, Pen. It's about how much it then starts to impact on your day-to-day living. So I even have conversations with primary school age kids around if it's affecting your play, if it's affecting concentrating at school, if it's affecting your friendships, that's when it's a problem. How do we control our own concerns and worries when we're talking to the young people in our lives? A really helpful thing for parents and carers is to slow down, do everything slowly, take deep, slow breaths, think about how you're feeling, think about how you want to respond, think about the aims of your conversation. 
And I think if you're just not sure um, how to respond, it's also okay to be transparent in that. So if a young person says something really confronting, um, you might say something like, I really want to help you. I'm, I'm not quite sure how to right now, but that doesn't mean I'm not I'm not here for you and I care about you and I love you. You know, and I know as myself as a parent, I've said reactive things when I'm not slow enough. So, you know, I'll jump to a problem-solving answer or a consequence that's just not helpful when I'm anxious myself and feeling really stressed. And look, it's not uncommon for us to also have young people coming in and saying, oh, my mum or dad said I have this and therefore um, that's what I have. And labels look... Um, it's really important that mental health diagnoses come from professionals and and be really careful as a parent or a carer not to throw labels around because your young people will grab them and then decide that's what they are Um, and that is very unhelpful. So if we're not going to use that word anxiety, what's another word to use? Worry (laughs) or stress. Um, I feel like stress is one that people seem to cope more with. How about depression? What's another word if we don't want to label? Oh, yeah, yeah. Low mood. You seem low. Do you know the – I don't know why, but our family is flat. (laughs) So even my um, little people in my house will say, I'm feeling flat, Mum. Or sad. Yeah. It's funny, you know, I think because we're becoming – more comfortable with talking about mental health, which is awesome, sometimes, unfortunately, we can then use – diagnostic terms in a really unhelpful way so I would just avoid any of those things. I can imagine if people get to that next stage where they go and seek professional help and they do get some sort of diagnosis that it can also be a relief with that like oh I have anxiety that's what's going on for me now I get it. Oh my gosh yes I think definitely diagnoses have a place most definitely but it's just important that we go to the right people the professionals our mental health clinicians to talk to us about that um, to make sure that it's yeah appropriate so what is appropriate for us lay people who don't have the mental health qualifications How can we work together to make sure that that washing pile doesn't spill out of the basket, whether it's ours or someone else's? Let's call in Danielle. Danielle Jackson is another clinician from Headspace, and she's got plenty of ideas to just have there in the back of our minds that we can pull out whenever we need to. Yeah, so I guess maybe more the sneaky <laughs> sneaky therapy alongside therapy, I guess. Um, so, yeah, just putting out there different options for the young person of, hey, do you want to come and do a driving lesson with me or do you want to come walk the dog? So just giving offers and then sort of noticing if they're taking up some of those or not. And, um, yeah, I guess just being consi- consistent. If you ask somebody something, maybe you're only asking once. <laughs> um, and checking in what barriers are for the young people as well, like, Sometimes if it's about they're not getting their chores done and, you know, the parents are worried about that, um, that's where the nagging thing comes up the most, I think, of I've asked you to do the dishes twice already and they're still not done. Yeah, sometimes people prefer like a little tick list or something like that to help them stay on track of what they know they've got to do or they've got a time frame they can get it done by instead of having to do it right then. So if they're in the middle of some test online or something they want to finish, Um, so they're not feeling interrupted. So, yeah, communication definitely always helps around that stuff. So just trying to open it up and find out 
yeah, what will help that young person and what the barrier is. As supporters, carers, teachers, friends, family members, do we need to understand how stress or worry or anxiety or low moods or depression works to be able to help someone? Like, do we need to be the expert? Um, You don't need to be an expert, but you do need to come from a position of being curious about it, wanting to know a bit more, trying not to fall into judgments around it if you haven't had your own experiences with it. And also if you have had your own experiences, not assuming that your experience of stress is exactly how other people will experience it. So I guess being open-minded and asking some open questions. Making time to talk is a really important one because life is very busy, sometimes quickly asking someone on the go in front of other family members might not be the most sensitive way to ask, but um, that can happen just in busy life. So trying to make space and time for the person, sometimes even just setting up a regular activity you do with a young person, like if they like cooking or going for walks or, you know, taking your dog for a walk, something you do together regularly just allows that space to be there. So, you know, one day it might be fine. They don't need to talk about mental health too much. The next day they do. So just knowing they've got that time to catch up with you and that important time with you. What if you're doing that and then suddenly it stops or it's not working anymore? Are there some, what do we do then? What, What do we do? Yeah, so I guess you're thinking like if the young person's withdrawn a bit, they're spending a bit more time in their room, they're not coming to you as much anymore. Yeah, I guess um, respectfully trying to ask them what they would like to do or if they want to change up the routine a bit. I'm just trying to encourage them to come out of that space a little bit. It's a hard line between nagging sometimes and encouraging. <laughs> so have you got a tip on how to how to not be a nagger and be an encourager? <laughs> um, hmm. I guess listen to what your young person is telling you. I have worked with young people sometimes where you might make up like a door sign where it says like knock on the door, come talk to me or I need my space. So you might even literally put a sign up or just finding creative ways to check in with each other. Um, A nice one I do like to recommend for families is like checking in around gratefulness. So you can do it just as a conversation around dinner or some people I recommend like a gratefulness jar. So Um, just really helps us balance our thinking, especially if there's a lot of heavy stuff going on in the world, checking in with each other about something you're grateful for that day. If it's been a really horrible day, might just be a cup of tea you had, or if you've had a great day, you've got some things you really want to share. So that can be a nice way to balance conversation and it's not always about problems. So trying to, yeah, find the other side of it. And some other people might check in with like what's something funny from today, what's something sad from today and what was something silly today you know just some different checking questions (laughs) so simple yeah it is simple but good (laughs) but it must be hard when you have someone in your life that you care about so much and you know that they're not okay Mm. and you don't know how to help them to then go let's talk about the funny thing that happened I can imagine that must be tough yeah yeah it can be and I guess the point is like um it's you set it up as a regular pattern and you're all doing it so it's not one person being sig- singled out and it's just a different way to start your conversation and if yeah if someone's in a really heavy space maybe you have a day off it but um yeah it can be a really good thing to do why does talking help <laughs> it is a big question um i guess it's helping us process what's going on for us share our experience make meaning of it understand it There wasn't a young person who didn't say that talking helped. They all felt that talking helped. Yet before they started talking, they didn't know if it would help. 
And do we, I think, do we all have that kind of thing? Like, how can talking help? That doesn't feel very scientific. Yeah, that definitely comes out. It's like, oh, it's just talk. What's that going to change? But when you talk about it with someone else, you get some new eyes, new ideas generated. Um, you know, the young person's still the expert in what's going on for them. So they're going to have all the answers. And as a counselor, you're just helping someone find their own answers. Um, but yeah, I think you just, you explain things in a different way when you're talking it out. You'll come across new solutions through talking to someone about it than if it just runs around in your head and gets bigger and bigger in your head. Yeah. Wow. So much stuff in there. But look, I'm conscious that you might be thinking, I tried some of that stuff, didn't work. Which is important to work out. And it's important to point out that different things will work for different people. And same goes for clinicians. You might have to try a few before you find the right fit with the right techniques that work for you. So let's try another, shall we? Mark van den Enden loves to help people form good thinking habits as a way to get in early before things feel out of control. The fancy term for that is early intervention. And Mark also loves a good metaphor. For some people it can happen very, very quickly. You know, often when we hit puberty and there's a change in school, there's a change in social groups, a lot of our um, fears and anxieties that were held at bay because we were in a secure, familiar, known environment with known situations, suddenly stepping into the unknown, you know, that, that survival mechanism in the brain just goes off. If we don't get familiar with a way to help us manage our anxiety, then that habit, you know, that those thoughts are going to fire and wire in the brain over and over and over again. And initially the thought might be like riding in water, you know, as soon as you make the impression it's gone. But then with repetition it becomes like writing in sand, you know, it takes a lot more energy to, to, to clear the slate. And then if you go along further and further it, it begins to be like writing in rock. You know, it's a deep imprint that the, we have to work extra hard to, um, to begin to overcome or to manage. What are the strategies that help us get rid of that writing? It depends on the person you are working with. Like one of the key instructions I love to present is don't let anything arise in your mind without recognising it. If we don't recognise it, we're on autopilot. If we do recognise it, we automatically have a choice of I can notice a name or I can just acknowledge or I can, you know, it's just an appearance from my mind. In the same way that a wave appears in the ocean, it comes from the ocean and then it recedes back into the ocean, thoughts, and, thoughts are exactly the same. They appear from the mind, usually through habit, and if we don't interfere with them, they will just simply recede back into the mind. When you see something come up in your mind that you don't like, you don't have to judge it. You don't have to say, this is bad, I need to get rid of it. You can just simply say, I am aware that anxiety has ridden in my mind at the moment. I don't have to buy into the stories that my usual programmed response would follow on with. Instead, I can say, oh, you know, here's anxiety, good morning anxiety, and I can just drop anchor, stay calm, stay in my body, stay in the present moment, tune into the world around me. You know, that's going to make anxiety so much easier to ride. 
Does that sound like a habit you could practice? Speaking of which, our next episode might touch on a habit that you or someone in your life struggles with. Sleep. Oh, I definitely counted on the clock going, now if I fall asleep in the next 10 minutes then I'll have this many hours of sleep and I'll be okay. Oh, well, I'll, I'll be tired but I'll survive on this many hours if I can just get to sleep now, like if I'm not got something out of my head to distract me. Oh, well, you've got a free line then, you can close your eyes and have a little break. Like, you're trying to think of all of these things of how the heck you're going to survive tomorrow if you don't get the sleep that you need. We'll listen and we'll learn next episode about sleep. But right now, I want you to learn how to subscribe because I can make that episode just appear on your phone as soon as it drops. So go on, go into your phone and hit the big button. And while you're at it, who else in your life could do with listening to this podcast? Maybe subscribe them too. We've heard some big stuff in the last half hour. And if you need more information, check out the show notes because I'll put some really useful scrollable stuff in there from Headspace. And I do really want to remind you that if you need support now, just head over to headspace.org.au and connect with someone in whatever way feels right for you who can listen and help. Plus, there's a heap of links in our show notes of other support services you can try, like Lifeline, Kids Helpline and Head to Health. I'm Penny Terry, and you've been listening to Get Psyched. This podcast is supported by funding from Primary Health Tasmania through the Australian Government Primary Health Networks Programme.